Hello. Good evening. My hometown. <laughs> yeah. Wow, the best thing to hit Brisbane tonight since Expo 88. Yay! Man, she's been rehearsing that line for so long. I have. I've been saying to Crab, you've got to get the Expo 88 material out from the local audience. It was a big deal. It is a very nice entry to the stage, though. Uh, We had a bit of a drama earlier because we got stuck on plane for many, 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 many hours uh, on Sydney Tarmac. So our last entry was actually just like dragging up our cases up these stairs, <laughs> looking like a couple of robber's dogs. That's and, right. Uh, just Put makeup like, on for you guys. Yeah, Special that's treat. Right. That's all right. Sales is even wearing underpants. I'm, uh, it's been very, very special. The same ones I've been wearing all week, so I've had a very busy week. <laughs> They're her special lucky budget underpants. <laughs> you want They'll the full be... briefs for the three-hour television broadcast, that's for sure. Their street name is The Budget in Reply. <laughs> It's not even oh, funny, God. it just sounds rude. We've been on stage less than one minute, we're already in, making gags about my undies. I know. I've had two brandy and dries uh, early on just to deal with the stress uh, and now I'm drinking water in case I just lose it. Uh, <laughs> really, I'm not really a spirits drinker, even though I know now that I'm in Queensland I should really be on the rum, right? Right? Yeah, well, probably. Or right. you, or you, although in Queensland you'd call it, if you knew anything, you would have said I should be on the Bundy. <laughs> Never been that strong on my definite articles. Um, now, before we get carried away, uh, why are we here? Why are we here? No, this is just an opening for you to talk about our charitable causes. Oh, right. Sorry. <laughs> I keep pitching them and you keep missing them. I was kidding. I was kidding. Wow. I wasn't sure if it was like an existential question, like because, you know, the universe, you know, million, many billions of years ago, blah. You're right. It was unfair. But. Yeah, it was. Uh, okay. Um, so every time we do a live show, we give a percentage of the proceeds to charity. Because we're a couple of bumblers, each thought that the other person was organising it, which meant we both organised it. So instead of one charity, there's two charities for this but show. But it's fine because there's two shows, so that's cool. Yes, so it's completely fine. Uh, so the one that I uh, organised is a program called Care to Achieve, which is run by the Smith family. Um, and it's a tertiary scholarship program that helps give support to young women who are moving from being in care to tertiary education. Because when you're at primary school or high school, you have quite a bit of structural support. But when you go to uni, um, that dries up really suddenly. So this program aims to help young women in that position with some financial support, but also with some mentors, because often in their own family, they might not know anyone who's been to university. So they try to help them out just with some people who know the lay of the land. So I came across this program last year because I um, emceed a charity lunch for them to raise some money and met some people who had benefited from the program. And I just thought it was a really excellent practical uh, idea and clearly a gap. And so that's one that we wanted to support, Care to Achieve with the Smith family. And the other one is an organisation which I would call Second Chance because I'm from South Australia. Up here we're not wankers, we'd say Second Chance. Yeah. Everyone knows who it is when you say second chance. They're like, what's second chance? (laughs) Well, uh, that's because I'm from South Australia, free settler state. (laughs) Is your wine good enough tonight? Do you need something with a woodier undertone? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so Second Chance is a great organisation which... um, uh, So I I met these um, people when I did a lunch on a book tour a little while ago and just 
was immediately struck by the work they do. They are a um, fundraising organisation. They raise money to basically directly give to women who are in um, circumstances often escaping domestic violence where, you know, um, what you really need more than anything else is uh, money for rent or um, you need to um, buy a car or you need to help yourself to get out of a situation that's very difficult. And I love these people because they fundraise, they have very few overheads, it just goes directly to people who need um, the money and that sounds wonderfully practical and they're a great, great, great group of women. Um, second chance. Second chance. <laughs> second chance. Um, now, you know how... Oh, don't go any further. Oh. Don't go any further because okay. I know we're about to hit a digression and I do not want to forget that... <laughs> One of the reasons why we were just, I mean, I think really just nearly having a panic attack earlier this morning when we were stuck on that plane and it was just, we were looking at, um, Sal's got this Fitbit thing on her wrist <laughs> and it monitors everything about oh, you. Oh, yeah. God. And we were just monitoring her um, heart rate. <laughs> it and it was like massively elevated, but the thing is it had been elevated for the whole week and she was like <sighs> then, because she's a nerd idiot, um, going back and looking at it patterns over just the last few week. weeks yeah. and just budget week just went Wing! and, well, but, like, and <laughs> the reason I knew to do that is because the executive producer of my show 7.30, Justin Stevens, showed me on his how he went on holidays for three weeks. He was a, before he was at 7.30, he was a producer at Four Corners and when he was at work, his average, resting, his average resting heart rate was, you know, 90 and then when he went on holidays, it was 70 for the whole three <laughs> weeks. It was profoundly disturbing. The other thing that's disturbing is it maps your sleep. So you can discover exactly how little sleep you are, in fact, getting, which makes you feel more tired. Yes. So cheery. You should totally get one of these things. (laughs) I'm planning on doing it straight away. No, actually, I'm just going to wear a hairband on my wrist indefinitely. (laughs) Like, just doesn't tell me anything except your hair looks like shit. Do something about it. (laughs) It's very handy. The Fitbit needs to flash, like, after it does, like, you know, number of steps, time, heart rate, all the rest of it, then it needs to just flash up next death. Because that's like the effect that it has on my mood. I'm just, I just like, feel oh like that's God. too much information. I'm drowning with information. I want less information about everything. I yeah. just, I, uh, I don't want to have one of those things. Anyway, one of the things that happened to sales this week, apart from interviewing Peter Costello, interviewing the treasurer, running the budget coverage, doing the budget and reply, interviewing Hillary Clinton, <laughs> like, just like, she's just, a, just excuse she's me. She's one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> you see her heart rate. Anyway, uh, one of the bastard things that happened to her this week is that it was her birthday. 91. <laughs> it was her birthday on Thursday. It was. And I'm like, happy birthday. And she's like, don't call me. I've got no time to take calls from well wishes. I know. It's awful because, you know, some of my very good school friends are in the audience tonight. Where, where are they? Give me a... Yeah. In fact... Oh, there they are over there. Um, and I don't think I took a single one of their calls. Yeah. I think I've sent you, you all to voicemail. You know yeah. what? Do you know what was surprising? My friend Scott, that I didn't speak to him this week because he's Scott the one that helps you with the adding up. Yep. Oh, very I've unusual never... for me to not call Scott in budget week. Very unusual. <laughs> <laughs> but she normally calls Scott with things like, "How many Olympic swimming pools would there be in a Sydney harbour?" Yeah. <laughs> right. No, what it's actually it's that... usually more basic. It's usually questions like, um, "Scott, if there's this number of zeros, is it billions or trillions?" <laughs> Your budget expert, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> why is this country in the toilet? I just do not know why. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> the fu- I'm sure I've said this on the podcast before. The funniest ever was I needed to get some soil, topsoil to put in my backyard, and I rang Scott and said, um, "Scott, look, I've done I've done some measuring. I just I can't remember how you do this, like you know." Um, oh meters squared or whatever Scott said first thing square meters but uh, and so I said I think I've worked it out I think I need a hundred meters squared and Scott Scott goes Scott's very dry like he didn't laugh or anything he just went well if your goal is to have your house underground <laughs> yes Go ahead. My favourite thing about that story is that Sales has to ring a maths expert with that question. <laughs> like, it's just sort of like Scott must be brilliant if he knows. My favourite I'm sure thing, you are brilliant, Scott. My favourite thing about this story is there's probably nobody in this room who would more fear audience participation than Scott. And right now he's sitting there. He's, he's like, probably shake. Oh, no, no. I'm not going to. No, no. I would not make it. That, oh! oh, my God. Scott. Scott. Woo. Woo. Wow. Scott, wow. you've changed. Wow, you are not the Scott that I know. <laughs> but the other person in the audience tonight is um, – <laughs> sorry, Beck. Um, the other person in the audience tonight is a lady who you might have heard about a little bit uh, in the podcast. That is childhood friend Mandy, the new me before I was, you know, <laughs> no, the like old the, old, the old me. She was the original and the best animal. Yeah, I know. I, I haven't even <laughs> partially replaced Mandy um, and did you think I was going to say Helen Garner when you said – because I said no. – Oh, Anne oh, Sales was here, the Savo. Yeah, sorry, yeah. you missed Anne Sales, wrong yeah, show. Yeah, you missed Anne Sales. Yeah. What so a shame. So you get uh, the runner-up, Mandy. Mandy, can you come up here, please, because really <laughs> you have – Oh, uh, poor Mandy. Yeah, you're across Aww. this situation. Come on, Mandy. Hello, Mandy. Now, I've just heard about you sorry, basically you riding your bike around your BMX – Yep. With sales being Nancy Drew together, is that right? That's that's correct. Yes, we did. Can we hold this? Yeah. Can I can I can I have, can I have the heart rate monitor now? <laughs> no. Sure. Yes. No, we did. Yeah, we did. Um, we had awesome we had childhood. Great boys around our neighbourhood. So we got to make up fun stories. What did you say? We had great boys. Great boys. Great good, bo- as in good-looking boys. <laughs> so they were the inspiration for our stories, or Lee's stories, or. <laughs> Actually, they're more like fantasies. Like, <laughs> I actually did vicariously through Lee's uh, writing. And, uh, yeah, can, Mandy, I'd always you have can to elaborate be, there. Yeah, on. except I used to always like the female heroine because, like, as everyone can see, Mandy's really beautiful. Um, and okay, thanks. <laughs> and so I'd always say, you know, the heroine would always be like, she had long, flowing dark hair and amber eyes. <laughs> <laughs> But look at you. You even look a little alike. Yeah. (laughs) Are you my doppelganger? Imagine what would happen if we ganged up against her. We we could take her. We're quite powerful, really. (laughs) No, we we, we had a great time. We had an um, awesome childhood, yeah. We Um, did. I'm actually quite offended. I wasn't going to come up when I heard you actually didn't answer my call for your birthday. (laughs) You were in good company. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't send the phone. You're in good company, Jill, Kate. Yep. <laughs> Everyone, yep. sorry. And actually, I'm charging you for these five minutes too, because <laughs> this is the second time you've actually asked me a hell uh. yeah. Oh, oh so happy birthday to you! Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday, you total monster who didn't pick up the phone! Happy birthday to you. And that's from me and Mandy. (laughs) 
like this, Mandy. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you. Now, that's because, um, see, Sales on her birthday actually said, oh, I've just had to tell my producer not to organise a cake. I've got no time to talk to my colleagues. <laughs> he did actually organise a cake, though. He and you just bumped the whole thing? No, cake. I had to hang around everyone, but I was just... Like grumpy about it. I didn't want to. No. What a gal. <laughs> I didn't I didn't show it. I just was like, oh thanks everybody. Oh, good. Okay. Everyone back to work. <laughs> now, make hey, you eat a slice of this right now. Have you finished humiliating me yet or are we, is, are we oh, good well, to I move mean, on? It might come up again, but um Happy I, birthday to the best monster we know. At your service always, the Brenderlings. Oh, uh, that's lovely. Thank you very much. That's insert. an amazing looking cake. Look it is the a eye. gorgeous looking cake. Depth of the icing. Mandy talking about us riding our bikes around in our childhood um, reminds me of this book that I have just started reading. Um, has anyone here heard, heard of the author Gerald Murnane? Okay. Yeah, well, you would have because I've talked about him on the podcast, mate. Like, I don't know if you weren't <laughs> listening, but... We've discussed – I just love it when you're like, oh, so interesting, this writer. (laughs) Okay, all right, okay. So we had – Tell us about your discovery. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Mandy. I mean Annabelle. Um, So we had it on the show on 7.30 on Monday night just past. My producer, Callum, did a reporterless story. That's hot, Callum. Still available. (laughs) He's 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 always in demand. He's maybe not available. Um, So – he did a story about Gerald Manane, who lives about four or five hours out of Melbourne, who has been nominated for the Nobel Prize for Literature about a dozen times, who, other than the time you mentioned him, I have never heard of him, I've never read anything by him. Um, and he's in his 80s, I think. He was the most arresting person in the way that he spoke. Um, and the bit that, I mean, it was all totally fascinating, but the bit that completely gripped me was he, Callum said, he, if you tried to interview him, he just couldn't answer questions. He could barely speak. But if you were just filming him and said to him, you know, describe what it's like to live here, then he could talk. He just clammed up, though, if he thought he was being interviewed. And so they've got some things where he's – I don't know where the camera was, but he's framed quite close. And he, he's looking straight down the barrel of the camera and he says something like, um, a person can reveal more about themselves by telling you the things they've not done instead of the things that they have done. For example, I have never been on a plane. I have never gone in an ocean-worthy vessel. I have never voluntarily immersed myself in the ocean. And he gives this list of just gobsmacking things. I I have never watched more than 30 minutes of television or listened to more than 30 minutes of the radio since my children were small in the 1970s. Um, And I was so struck because I thought, wow, that that is – telling me a huge amount about you and, and an intriguing amount about you and it made me feel like I wanted to immediately read something he had written because this thing that he said sounded like just the opening of a really great book and everything he said sounded like part of a great book. Um, and so Callum had come back with um, collected short fiction of Gerald Murnane, although our friend Helen Garner, clang, um, has said that the book to start with is called Something for the Pain. Um, but So I started reading this book, which is a collection of short stories, and I knew I was coming up here and that one of the first things he writes about, I just thought, man, anyone who went to school in Queensland would recognise this, which he's writing about how he was scared of thunderstorms um, and talking about thunderstorms when he was a child. And he says, 
The storms of those years had always arrived at mid-afternoon. When a storm was overhead, the teacher would have to switch on the lights in the darkened schoolroom. <laughs> Does everyone remember that? The thrill of when the lights would go on. Uh, and he's talking about how he was so scared and he would try to get away from the windows once the lightning started. He said, I saw in my mind the zigzag of gold stabbing down from the black clouds and piercing the heart or the brain of the one child who'd been marked out for dying that afternoon. <laughs> um, and it's funny because his writing style, I don't think he's trying to be funny and yet he is funny. And so he then goes on to write, and this is the bit, Mandy, where are you, that, that reminded me of me and you because he's talking about walking home from school, which Mandy and I used to do. We had uh, about 40, a 45-minute walk to and from school every day and we always used to walk the same route. Uh, and, you know, I think that's sort of part of the reason we're uh, such good friends and have been such good friends for, you know, 30-plus years because you had 90 minutes a day to talk about things. Anyway, Gerald Monane writes... When I thought of myself being killed by lightning, I dreaded the confusion this would cause. After I had failed to arrive home at the usual time, my father would search for me along the streets that I had promised I would follow every afternoon. Before my first day at school, I had promised I would never turn aside from McRae Street, Baxter Street and McIver Road. On the very few afternoons when I left those streets and walked for a little way along the creek, I supposed as I walked that my father was hurrying along McIver Road while I was down among the bulrushes. My father had set out from home to meet me, I supposed. He had come to tell me that our house had been burned down or that my mother had been killed, but we had passed one another without knowing. On those afternoons, I had almost turned back from the creek to make sure that my father was not somewhere behind me and walking away from me. And even while I wondered whether I ought to turn back, I thought of my father's arriving at the school and then turning back towards home, but this time leaving the streets and walking along the creek for a little way because he thought I might have been loitering there, whereas I was just then going back towards the school by the way of the streets and passing my father again unseen. When my father could not find me in the usual streets, he would think at first that I had turned aside to watch the water in the creek flowing swiftly after the storm. He would go down to the bank of the creek and while he was looking for me among the bulrushes, a priest from the presbytery next to my school would ride his bike along McRae Street and Baxter Street and McIver Road on his way to my father's house to tell my father, who was not at home, that his only son had been killed by lightning. (laughs) How good is is that? That is entirely composed from inside his brain, right? Like, what an extraordinary character. Like, the, the... the moment when I became aware of him, and I have not read any of his books either, um, was that they did a little segment on him in This American Life, on him and Helen Garner Klang, and um, <laughs> it was about when a few years back um, Manane was given, what is that flash um, Melbourne Literary Award where the prize is like 50 grand or something, it's big and then the, they, you, you're supposed to spend it on travel, you know, you can travel anywhere to improve your writing and he won it and he said, well look, I don't really want to travel, I've never been on a plane and I've never been outside I mean, maybe even Victoria but certainly Australia and I have no interest at all in travelling anywhere because anything that I want to write about is in, already in my own head so I barely need to leave my own house which I think that passage makes pretty clear, right? Like <laughs> well, he's got it, he's got a lot of stuff going on in there. But, like, but, just but, like, don't, but don't you don't think even that, have to put the pants on, really? Don't you, 
don't you think that kind of thinking, like there was something about that that I recognise, that kind of thinking, although I've never been clever enough to observe it in myself to that degree, but there was a familiarity right from the taking the same streets home from school and if you deviated from the route, um, just down to the lake and then thinking about your parents and, you know, all of that stuff. Hey, um, Getting the priest involved was a, like, definite... But pulling it back to the lightning, it was just, like, the perfectly formed bit of writing. Um, Tell me something that you've never done. Sorry, I just sprung that on you completely. Oh, that's fine. um, Never immersing yourself in the ocean is, like, quite startling, really, like, for where he lives. I've never voluntarily immersed myself in the ocean, which, of course, raises the question of whether he has been... Involuntarily immersed in the I ocean. know that's yeah. worthy of um, further inquiry. Um, I've never had my ears pierced. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I mean, like, I don't know if that's a. a, a I've never been skiing. Really? Okay. I have seen snow, but I've never yeah. been skiing. I've uh, never been skydiving, but you know, well, why would you? Um, <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> um, hey, you know how. Um, we have not done a podcast together for quite a while. Do you remember how um, – Now we can't remember what we've discussed and what we haven't discussed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's really weird. Yeah. Do you remember when we came back after Christmas, I really annoyed you because for two podcasts in a row I kept going about, well, I, guess what? I just went to New York. Guess what I did in New York? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Do you know what I've done since we last did a podcast? Mm-hmm, I've been to New York, York again. Yeah. <laughs> To interview James Comey. To interview yeah. James Comey. So, and we haven't had to talk about that. So, can we? Have no, to talk about that? but you may as well just bring it on. <laughs> so, it's first a bit of time all... for if anyone needs the lewd. Like, just, you know, just... <laughs> so, James Comey is the former director of the FBI who has had the most spectacular falling out with Donald Trump, uh, and is a major part of this investigation into uh, whether Donald Trump has, has well, firstly. The investigation broadly is to whether the Trump Trump campaign colluded with Russia in the election campaign, but it's also looking at whether there's been any level of obstruction of justice. And this is where Comey comes in because he basically says Trump asked me to, you know, sort of not not as explicit as turn a blind eye, but that was the general gist of it. But Comey also is very controversial because 11 days before the US election, he announced that he was reopening an investigation into Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server when she was Secretary of State, which she believes cost her the election. So he's written this book called A Higher Loyalty, um, which is actually a really good and interesting read, even not reading it for the newsworthiness. It's quite well written. If you're somebody who likes those insights into public life and um, people commentating on major players like, you know, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump and people like that. It's a good pacey read. And he also writes a lot about his years as a New York prosecutor chasing mob bosses in New York. Right. So it's kind of like a – it's a memoir sort of thing. It's so a memoir. I was memoir. wondering how it's structured because obviously everyone's going for the juice. Yeah. The, yeah. It, it, it's a straight memoir. So it starts basically with his childhood. It's a real sort of he, – like he's the sort of guy that you imagine. It's a type of American man that you imagine every night before bed drinks a glass of milk that type of person do you think everyone's read the chapters about the childhood because if no. i picked up that book i'd be like yeah yada 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 riding bikes nancy drew blah 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 <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it was interesting but then yeah the bits obviously and it's quite it's just quite riveting the I mean, I think anyone's account of, say, the first time you're in a room with the president or the first time you're in a room with, um, you know, somebody uber famous um, is really interesting. And so I found it all utterly riveting. So one of the – the first time he meets the president is after – 
they've come into possession of this dossier, which has become known as the Steele dossier, which we all know about now, but it was the one that said the Russians had been gathering compromising material on Trump, including that he'd participated in or observed or whatever it was, um, prostitutes doing golden showers in a hotel room in uh, Moscow. And so the intelligence bosses, you know, the head of the CIA... Which the president's defence is, I have a notorious problem with germs. So that just <laughs> would not happen. <laughs> yeah. So... FBI boss, CIA boss, all the secret agencies we don't know about, all of them, um, Director of Homeland Security, they go to Trump Tower after Trump's elected and they have to give him a briefing. The incoming president always gets a national security briefing. And they discuss before they go, well, we better give him the heads up on the uh, Steele dossier and what's in that. And so they go to this meeting and it's quite gobsmacking because they say, first of all, when they tell the incoming administration that they have this material that Russia appeared to interfere in the election, instead of what they're used to from other politicians they've dealt with over the years, the person, the people sort of straight away saying, that's really concerning, a hostile foreign power has intervened in our democratic processes, you know, this is insidious, what do we do about it? The first thing they said was, well, you know, like, how do we manage it? Is it damaging for for us, you know, personally? It's sort of they turned it straight onto themselves, which all the national security boards found a bit concerning but then for some reason among themselves they decided that it would be too embarrassing to tell Trump about the prostitute compromising material in front of everybody so they say Comey you're the guy we're all going to leave and you and Trump are going to have some time alone and you're the one who's going to tell him about Uh, it. Hell of a week to lose at poker. So he uh, has to sort of say to the president you know there's this compromising material and he says Trump sort of immediately just blows it off and doesn't want to engage, but then, you know, a couple of days later rings him to say the germ, you know, it's just completely unbelievable and I'm scared of germs and blah, 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 blah. Um, And then he gets a call a while later. So it's just this series of episodes where he has these meetings with Trump. He gets a call to go to dinner, a private dinner with Trump, which is quite unusual. And uh, the president says to him over dinner, you know, we'll, we'll have a good relationship, if you, but I need you to promise me your loyalty. And Comey takes it as being like, because he's done all the mob prosecutions in New York in the 1980s, he, he's like, well, I know what that means when somebody says they want your loyalty. Um, and so he won't do it. And then, so he, he just doesn't answer. And then towards the end of the dinner, Trump again says, I want your loyalty. And then Comey says, I can give you my honesty. <laughs> Trump goes... Well, that's good. I can have your honest loyalty. (laughs) (laughs) Done. Yeah. Anyway, it was a very interesting read and it was an interesting experience getting to sort of meet Comey and, you know, it's fascinating with these people. I find the the chance to just eyeball them up close and get a sense of what they're like, even though, of course, you know, it's it's neither here nor there really. I I loved his recollection for detail, like his, I mean, the the gold in those um, stories that he told that, we saw extracted from the evidence at the time was just like his sort of quite uncanny ability to just pick up like tiny details in those encounters that sort of well, made them he, weirdly funny. He was writing notes as soon as he left because after the loyalty meeting he just thought, oh, my God, this is so irregular that I think I need to start keeping notes. So he was filing one set of them in the office and then one set in some private location and, and talking to people about it as it went, um, which, you know, is – is interesting because, of course, Trump, you know, someone who's a career Washington public servant understands all of that type of way of behaviour, whereas Trump, of course, you know, wouldn't. Of all public figures in America, he's the one who has most, like, ping-ponged between being, you know, 
a stooge for the left and then suddenly a stooge for the right. Like, I mean, mm. he, he's the only individual who could, you know, conceivably have been blamed for the defeat of either candidate had either of them lost, which is kind of bizarre, isn't it? Like, what do you think was motivating him? Uh, it was really hard to get a handle on that. I think it was a combination of things. He he admits himself he has a big ego. So I think there was a, f- a sense of being a bit enamoured of his own power and his own places. You know, hell, I'm the director of the FBI, you know. I think the he claimed in the interview and in the book that he wasn't making decisions based on political calculations, but he also says that he had an eye to the reputation of the FBI, which that that is a political calculation. And, you know, if you look at the history of Because the F- if Clinton had won and they'd sat on that... Yeah, that's right. He thought that they could be accused of, you know, trying to get her elected or to protect her or whatever if it came out down the track. But any consideration of anything like that really is still there's a political um, component to that because the FBI, like look at the history of the FBI, like they are a political and a, and a um, you know, they just have to be a political organisation because their decisions that they make have political effects. But he says, you know, we try, of course, to not take that into account. But in this case, he did admit that he was thinking about the reputation of the FBI. And I think that at that time, everybody was pretty much operating on the basis that Hillary Clinton was going to win the election. And so he was making his decisions based on the likelihood that that's what he would be dealing with after, you know, the first Tuesday in November. Um, But, you know, it's... He was saying as well, he's very – like he's six foot five or something. He's a really tall guy. Wow. I yeah. never really registered that he was – So he said guy. he's very prominent when he walks down the street and he's, he just cops abuse from like all quarters. He's just, yeah, in a world of pain. Hey, can we talk about some movies? I saw The Death of Stalin. I saw it too. What did you think? Well, it's awkward because I have been looking forward to that movie like no movie. Like I just – I love the premise of it. I love Iannucci. I like the cast. I like the boldness of like telling this Russian story with just people who are American or English and letting them all just keep their own accents and just, you know. And the idea of this sort of hilarious farce based around the death of Stalin, which, I mean, you know, um, bold, definitely bold. Did you Um, find it hilarious? Um, bits of it I thought were funny, but it really, I found it, I just felt it, it dragged a lot. I just, I didn't, it didn't really sustain my interest in a huge way, which I found just devastating. I don't know why. It seemed like. I, I, I did not crack a smile <laughs> for wow, the entire yeah. film. Yeah. I just was mystified. Like I was just the whole time thinking, what is funny about this? Like, it's just not funny. But it's one of those films that I've noticed people who think that it was funny think it was really funny and they find it equally as mystifying that people like me found it just deeply unfunny. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I think maybe I think maybe my expectations were so out of whack that I, I basically like booked a whole section of my life and, you know, for, in reserve for yeah. watching this film. It, to me it was like, you know, when I say to, I don't find Monty Python funny, for example, and when I say that okay, to people. Okay, well, uh, well, I've just got to <laughs> park that for a minute. When I say that to people, yes, I do lose the room. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Never no, reading Dickens. People, what happens is... Just like picking off every person in the world. <laughs> just like loyalty group by loyalty group. There are other people who also don't find Monty Python funny and we all have this thing in common, which is we know that when we say we don't find Monty Python funny, invariably someone in the group of people we're with will go, are you joking? 
What about when he's got like the dead parrot? He's going, oh, this is an ex-parrot. And they start doing Monty Python. And if there's anything less funny than Monty Python, the way, it's yeah. somebody doing Monty Python. That's a, yeah, it's, it's a false positive. You can't, uh, <laughs> yeah. you can't do bad Monty Python. And the death of Stalin reminded me of how I react to Monty Python. Uh, and so perhaps if you like Monty Python, you would like the death of Stalin is what I'm saying. Well, lukewarm reviews by leesales.com. <laughs> if you like a... the thing that I think is shit, then I guess maybe this will be great for you. Now, can I ask you, I'm really dying. I know that you watched the film Borg and I really want to hear about it. I love the film Borg. What about that whole thing where there's tennis movies everywhere at the moment? Yeah. What, so just what, what? It's like the Churchill of... movies. What is it in Hollywood that makes everybody just say, do you know what, this year I'm just going to make a film about tennis and then suddenly everybody's doing it or a film about Churchill or, I mean... So is, Bor- is Borg Bjorn Borg's whole life? Is that what no, it is? No, it is the story of one game. Oh. It's the story of the Wimbledon final between Bjorn Borg and John McEnroe and it was 1979, help me crowd, 79? Who plays Borg and who's McEnroe? Anyone famous? Or? Damn it, I knew you would ask me that question and I've forgotten. Does uh, anyone here know? Just question. Question. No, who's Borg? Sheila Leboeuf. Sheila Booth. Okay. Sheila and who's John McEnroe? Sheila Booth. 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 Whatever. He Why was young Harrison Ford name? in one of the I, Indiana it's Jones. It's the most silly actor's name in creation. <laughs> it's fabulous. What's he been in before? And I don't know. But he He is. was young Indiana Jones in one of the Indiana Jones, oh, right? Okay. Is that right? Ten points. What All about right. um, who's McEnroe? And, um, well, that is McEnroe. And no, they said that's Borg. McEnroe. Oh, that's McEnroe. And okay, Borg, is, Borg is played by a Swedish actor, Hugen Nuremson. <laughs> Sorry, I can't remember. He's very handsome. Okay. He's very handsome. Uh, but the weird thing about the film is that uh, it is – so you know that McEnroe is this super brat, right? Yeah. And Borg is like the ice-cold, you know, multiple winner of Wimbledon. But what you find out in this film is a whole lot about Borg's background and how he used to be like a really like rage-filled teenager and bad boy on the court. And he had this coach who just basically trained him to focus all of his rage and energy inside. So he kind of like bottled it all up until it converted into like supreme tennis genius. But he like never lost his cool, but it was just like... And so he had all of these intense personal habits like um, every time he went to Wimbledon he had to be picked up by the same car. If his parents came to watch they had to wear the same clothes. He got his coach to bring 60 tennis rackets to the same room in the same hotel. They had to like the night before the final like walk on them and test the tension and like oh my. It's just so tense to watch and it's so surprising because you know, if you have a, a recollection of Borg, it's just this, this ice cool guy. But what you find out is that really he's just completely stoppered up like this powder keg of just contained. It's like me with my rage. budget undies. It gotta, is. Right I just ones. found it a thrilling film. I loved it. And oh, that sounds I mean, great. you know, it's, you know, I, I'm not a particularly big sport head either. Um, I know a bit more about sport than you do, love. But, um, this is the lady who last week we went to this publishing dinner during the Sydney Writers Festival and she was late because she was, you know, at work doing 7.30. And um, her assignment that night was that she had to interview the new um, Australian cricket captain, Justin Langer, and um, – uh, sorry, coach. Thank you. Um, oh, God. And <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, like I said, a bit more. Get um, it right. Anyway, duh. and uh, and well, tell me, you tell oh, them so what happened. It was I had, hilarious. I got five minutes' notice that I was going to be doing the interview, and my executive producer Justin Stevens walked in and said, "Hey, listen, I've got great news. We've got Justin Langer. We've got him, but he can only do it in five minutes." Can you do it? Will that be all right? And so I said, yeah, sure, of course. Walked to my desk, Googled who is Justin Langer. (laughs) Uh, But it was fine because as soon as he Googled it, because, of course, in the moment you're like, I'm not going to be able to do it. And then you go, oh, no, that's right. It's the ball tampering. It's the the sandpaper sandpaper in your duds and all that palaver. So completely fine. So, yeah, it was no dramas. It was was absolutely okay. I just needed a little bit of a nudge in the right direction. (laughs) to start. That is um, terrifying. Anyway, it's a great movie. It's um, uh, really thrilling and uh, also I, I was sh- I just looked at the time before and I, I was shocked to see how long we've been talking for. Oh, no, you're kidding. Um, but oh, can we I just... Forgot. I actually forgot. Oh. <laughs> I can't believe we had the candles and everything and the cake and I forgot to give you a birthday present. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's oh. lovely. Thank well, you. Actually, maybe it's not going to be lovely. You never know with you. <laughs> Thank you. There you go, love. Thank you, love. That's actually you put together by Gwen and oh, Miranda. Happy it's birthday, slag face, the yeah. card says. <laughs> put together by Gwen and Miranda. Yeah, that's love. why it's beautifully oh, printed and wrapped. Lovely. If it was All me, right. it'd give be in a, a little, target bag. A should I open it in front of everyone or is it going to yes, be you should. something compromising? Why do you think I can't really <laughs> keep up? Uh, <laughs> Um, can I just before I open this also say just because you raised um, <laughs> Churchill, uh, I saw on the plane on the way back from Comey the Darkest Hour, which is yes, very Gary good. Oldman is Winston Churchill, um, Kristen or Kirsten, whatever her name is Scott Thomas is Clementine, Kristen. Kristen. Uh, it was excellent, and I was just thinking all those. British actors, um, I don't know all of their names, but their faces, you know, those very familiar. See them in a lot of stuff. God, they're so – in that film you felt at times like you were watching like the actual cabinet meeting. It was just fantastic. I, I really thought it was great. Okay, let's have a look. It's a garment. So it says, it's 9pm, time for you to leave. <laughs> that is so good. That is absolutely oh, – oh, and it's got pants that go with it. Yeah, it's it. a very oh. comfy pant. Oh, yeah. tracksuit pants. Yeah. Absolute gold. <laughs> uh, so this is – Thank you, ladies. Um, a friend of ours, Miranda, tells the story of going to um, Lee's on New Year's Eve <laughs> and uh, – and, and Oh, what a great night. Being advised at the – like dinner was served super pronto – and then at like 8.30 or 9, Lee's like, there's excellent fireworks down the road. If anyone would like to walk down the road, I'll be staying here, of course. I was like, I'll do, look, don't you guys, don't worry about me. I'll do the dishes. You guys just head off. <laughs> Everyone goes, just shutters up, locked, gone. <laughs> they weren't allowed back in <laughs> for midnight. They had to leave. I hate, New Year's Eve is my least favourite night of the year. I hate going out and for various reasons. One is... It's just late. Um, two is you can be having the most crap time ever and you're obligated to stay until midnight, which I really hate. And the whole premise of it is to either reflect on, you know, the year that was and the passage of time and, you know, what you regret and, you know, how life's just, you know, your, your, your past is, you know, advancing and your future's receding or whichever way around it is. And then the fact that, like, you know, 
just what you've got to worry about in the future. Like it's the worst. I just go like going to bed at eight o'clock and just waking up on another day. Quite a bold decision to host really under those circumstances, <laughs> wasn't it? Well, I knew I could get everybody out because I lived near fireworks. <laughs> Anyway, I hope oh, you enjoy those PJs. Terrible. <laughs> now, just uh, we, we should take some questions from the audience, but you had also seen uh, – we have just have not, have not had a chance to talk and I want to know what you thought of Three Billboards, another film. Oh, yeah. I, um, I quite enjoyed it. Um, I love Frances McDormand. Um, I thought it was a tiny bit sort of overwrought, um, I thought. I think I had a similar reaction to lots of people that I – spoke to before seeing it like I, I actually had this situation where Jeremy really wanted to see it and I really wanted to see it and so we 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 gave up various opportunities to see it so we could watch it together and then seriously we'd each just <laughs> been on planes and not watched it because thought we're going to watch that together and then realistically we never made it to the movies to see this bloody movie <laughs> it was just it became like this ridiculous it became like this ridiculous, <laughs> non-ever-eventuating date that just never happened. Okay. So in the end we just... Should you just save this for marriage counselling or something? Sorry, you're probably <laughs> right. But I mean like, so by the time I watched it, it seemed like I'd had many conversations about it. I'd right. talked to people uh, and like most of the people that I'd talked to who'd seen it would be like, oh, yeah, you know, it's good. It's not like the greatest, it's not the most superb movie, which is what I was sort of hoping it would be um, given the cast. Um, before we'll take some questions in a sec, but I just wanted to share one thing about a film, which is I think of interest probably to an audience like this. I saw the film version of the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, uh, which I did enjoy. I don't even know what that is. Every time you say it, I just think, what are you talking about? So <laughs> obviously, everybody here has read it. It's one of these things where super that happens famous. to me all the time. Where suddenly I you'd really you know, like it. The, the book. Oh, that makes it even worse. So it's um, – How do I always miss these books? I read heaps. And then there's always something everyone – I'll be saying, I'll read something and say, this is awesome. And someone will say, well, that won the book prize two years ago, you idiot. <laughs> I pay attention. How do I miss these things? It's basically a young woman is an author and she begins a correspondence with a guy who lives in Guernsey. Boring. And like, oh, is it a questing? And she, oh, no, she learns about romance. what happens in Jesus. Guernsey during oh, the Second small. World War. <laughs> God. It's a historical letter-based cutesy <laughs> exchange. I hated it already. Because I knew yeah. it would have because it's got a cutesy title. Like the thing. Oh. Who in this audience liked that book? Round of applause. Yes. It's a good okay, book. Well, maybe anyway, the film, okay. the film is a pretty good adaptation of it except for the fact that mate that's some hard source material when it's comprised of letters back and forth say, is there a lot of <laughs> <laughs> or am i thinking of the opening titles to murder she wrote again i'm so oh fun fact she's um malcolm turnbull's second cousin angela lansbury she is that's right would anyone like to ask us a question because this is really losing its way happy to like Show of hand, well, not a show of hand. If you put your hand up, hand up. sales will bring the microphone to you. Hey, look, right uh, down there. Dance, hey. dance. <laughs> See, I said dance like I'm a Queenslander. Ordinarily, oh, ordinarily I'd fitting say right dance. In. Okay. What a feeling. That wasn't the person Hello, I was pointing to at all. <laughs> you dolt. So, it's a bit of a hypothetical question for you. Your life depends on it or your children's lives depend on, depend on it. You've both got to get a tattoo. However, 
you've got to choose the other person's tattoo. What would you choose? <laughs> wow. Mm. I'm with stupid. <laughs> uh, I, I, well, after that, I'm getting you a big pair of tiger paws right on your boobs. <laughs> <laughs> Where does that even come? What is that a cultural reference to? Like, what, what do you do here in Queensland? Well, Aspley State High School's got a lot to answer for. <laughs> There's a you don't have any tattoos, do you? By any, I no. Don't, I, I don't. What have we met anywhere? No. Have you? No. <laughs> of course you haven't. I got my belly button pierced <laughs> once after an L7 concert. Really hurt. <laughs> you got your belly button pierced? Oh, fresh. That one's so fresh. How, how old? Oh, oh, there's a three-week-old baby. Oh. Man, you are doing well. That is so That is a great head of hair too. Adorable. When I also see, on the baby. I was never very um, clucky before I had kids and, in fact, little babies I used to be, like, scared of and now I see one I just think, oh, they're just like a little koala. Okay, who was questioning? Hello. I'm totally with you on Monty Python, not Annie. Yes. Okay, the rest of you can form an angry mob outside <laughs> and do some silly walks or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We've been having a lot of talk amongst the chatters in the office, who I'm here with tonight, about Handmaid's Tale um, and whether or not we should go back for the second round. Right. Um, okay. We've been talking about whenever we walk under a bridge, we look and see, do you think that's where they'll have the hangings? <laughs> so we want to know, are you guys going to go for the second round and watch a second season and should we watch it? Well, funnily enough, this came up as a topic in our earlier show when we asked for a show of hands in the room, actually, which I wouldn't mind seeing because I'm concerned about watching it because I've heard that it's just there's violence and um, just really, really depressing. So, As opposed to the very uplifting first series, <laughs> which is like... Um, so if you think we should watch the second season, put your hand up. And if you think we shouldn't... Yeah, that's about the same breakdown. I think I'm with should. I mean, I found elements of the first season so distressing that, like, it came into really um, strong uh, conflict with my urge to binge watch it. I was just a bit like, um, and this sounds like it's going to be worse. But I just think, well, maybe watch it until you can't watch any more and then um, switch it off if you need to for a bit. I just think, like, Margaret Atwood didn't write it as a sort of – as a two-parter with a cliffhanger, like – I feel a bit upset about that, but I guess it's nice to see more of Ms Moss. Now, Sales, we actually have um, platinum chatter Jane Britt on the um, sidelines here. Do you know, like, some of the very helpful chatters really rescued the earlier show when we actually weren't here. And, like, a big thanks to the Tivoli, by the way, for being totally cool about just their act not turning up. Like, they were remarkably relaxed about that, I thought, um, for an entertainment venue. Um, so, Jane is one of the helpful chatters G'day. who's been assisting this evening and she has a question, so I think we should hear it. One of the shy Brendelings here. I just had a question for both of you. Had either of you seen Isle of Dogs and what do you think of it and other Wes Anderson films? Um, I haven't seen Isle of Dogs, but I love all Wes Anderson films. I um, will. He is the director for whom I will down tools and run to the cinema. I really like in a, a contemporary filmmaker, I will never not see a Wes Anderson film. So I will see that film. 
Um, I haven't seen it either, but my favourite thing that I follow on Instagram at the moment that I've been meaning to tell you about is an account called at Accidentally Wes Anderson and it's photographs of things in real life that look like shots out of Wes Anderson films to the degree now that I'm always walking around. And in fact, at Can- in Canberra this week, I went for a walk on budget morning past the Monica Pool and I was like, it's an Accidentally Wes Anderson. It looks just like it. But I didn't have my phone with me so I couldn't snap it off and send it in. <laughs> but yeah, it's a great account. But yeah, Wes Anderson, I could just watch that stuff with the volume down because I love the style and the look of it. I find it it's also nice and symmetrical and lovely. Very, very satisfying. You can walk around now. Okay, I'm happy to. If someone shows me a bit of arm, all right. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to have to jump on your lap, which is not feasible, or I could just I could just hand it over. Oh, there's my friend Tim that I went to Paul McCartney with. Hey, bro. And Jan. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Very big Paul McCartney fan. I'm very jealous. (laughs) I have a serious question or a silly question. Which one would you like? Uh, Serious. (laughs) Okay. Um, I'm a journalist as well and I'd love to know what advice you have for young journalists. Thanks, Mandy. (laughs) (laughs) So my advice for young journalists is just... Don't um, wait for a job that looks perfect because that will take ages and um, one of the cruelest things about journalism is that your hardest day at work as a journalist is always your first day because um, it's very unfair. Um, Journalism gets easier and easier as you get more and more experienced and also more people return your calls because they've heard of you. Like it's just – it's such a shit because like day one in journalism is the day when you don't know quite how to construct a news story and also no one will ever return your call. So it's just like, ugh, worst day ever. But it gets better and it gets better more – swiftly if you do things that frighten you (laughs) that cause you to collect knowledge because that is what that's what the building blocks are to being good at it and the best thing that you can do to be prepared is just be relentlessly curious all the time and everything that you learn even if it's about something you just could not give a shit about um, that will become useful at some point later on when you meet someone who's really interested in you know bonsai and you just happen to write an article about bonsai and like next thing you know you'll be at like a, a murder investigation and the person you need to talk to happens to be interested in bonsai like that that stuff happens but it only happens if you collect all the pointless stuff first also go and work in the country perfect that's a great start you're already doing the great thing Okay, well then, Lee, you'll love this one. Um, (laughs) If you have to pick one musical soundtrack to listen to for the rest of your life and you cannot listen to any others, what's it going to be? Hard question because no matter – if you listen to something over and over, you probably would get sick of it. Um, I'm going to say the Rocky Horror Picture Show Um, just because I could visualise – well, there's some great songs in it. Do you know it well? I love that you keep asking me these things. Like, <laughs> you're like a dog desperately no, trying to be taken for a walk. No, no walkies. Gonna... No, I just – I mean, I like a lot of songs. I like um, – what's, what's the one called that starts – It was great when it all began. What's that song called? I can't remember. Again, Rose, Rose, I have, um, I nothing Rose Tint My World. Um, there's a Light, great song. Um, Time Warp, great song. Like there's just a ton of great songs in it. But um, I think – Possibly my favourite film, someone making an entrance of all time. Certainly one of my favourite numbers. Not a question asked, but <laughs> answered with alacrity. <laughs> Certainly one of my favourite um, 
just number like show showstoppers or like scene stealers all the time is when Tim Curry makes his entrance as Frankenfurter and it's just his foot tapping on so that they finish the time work nah, 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 and then you just hear that sort of and then you just it's his foot tapping as he's just coming down in the lift and then he just comes out and does the sort of it's sort of a little bit He's got the cape on initially and so he's doing the, you know, how do you do, uh, see you've met my, and then goes through it. And then he just flings it off and just goes, I'm a sweet transvestite. And it's just so amazing. And it's like everyone in the, in the Brad and Janet are just like. <laughs> but then I think when you're watching at home as well, you're just like plastered back in your seat because he just, I think the film actually from that point, it just dies because he is so brilliant. Um, and so I sort of think, well, if I had that with me, I could just visualise that bloody amazing performance of Tim Curry's. My answer and is sing. what she said. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> actually, my children have been watching, uh, listening to on high rotation the soundtrack from The Greatest Showman. And I've got to say, like, that is a bloody great soundtrack. Right. It's kind of, um, it's... I mean, I know I know what it's doing to me. I know that it's like the, there's the hooks and there's the everything, but I'm like, yep, I really enjoyed that. Is, that, is one of the songs something like This Is Me or something like that? Yeah, my kids like that song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the children like went to see it and then came back just crazy about the soundtrack. Like they liked the film but the main thing they liked was the soundtrack, which is interesting. Um, I quite like the film. Other great scene-stealing moments, Bill Murray and Tootsie, what, what a genius, um, and uh, Sid Charisse and Singing in the Rain. Uh, let's take two more questions because I think we're... Well, you could yeah, just keep make up, making up questions and answering them. <laughs> like, like, I'm glad bit, you asked me. <laughs> it's a bit Malcolm Turnbull. Do you have it? any more arms? Oh, we've, got a, we've got an arm upstairs. Hey, do you reckon I can get upstairs? Oh, upstairs, up the back. Uh, can, you, can you just yell out? Can someone yell? No, yell. I'm going to go downstairs. Oh, okay. All right, can you just give me a hand? You, want, you help me out with the cricket coach thing. Oh, wow, that was oh, my knees God. cracking. That's right. I'm elderly. <laughs> I'm elderly, but I'm agile, aren't I? Here we go. God, it's, the air is thin up here. Oh, my God. Hey, Sales. There's two up here in front 90s. <laughs> <got the> frogs. <laughs> come on, come down. You better come down. Were you having a question or was your friend with the question? I just wanted to point out that I've got my beautiful friends here and they went to the trouble today. After we'd been to... Um, we went to Goma today and saw some beautiful art and then they said, well, I'm sorry, loves, we just have to go to Best and Less and get a front 90. <laughs> I said, okay, I'll see you later wow. at the show. Very attractive. That's How you so doing? good. I love yeah, that you great. went from art to Daymart. <laughs> that's oh, wow. very nice. Thanks. Oh, and you've got the uh, bird pin too. Wow. Can you take it's a little special, picture yeah. up there, Sales? Have you got your phone or what? You look like the sort of ladies who'd be in bed at 9pm on New Year's Eve for sure. <laughs> Um, okay, one more question. Somebody, okay, just someone down the back, just yell it out. <laughs> if there was a slogan for Brisbane, oh, what would man. it be? You're better with words than me. Oh, I was hoping you wouldn't, so. like, yeah, okay. That's this a hard one. I don't think words. we can answer that as our last oh, question. We've got to go out in a high. Off. Yeah, because I can't think of anything. Did Adelaide have a theme song when you were a child? Because um, Brisbane had, love you, Brisbane. <laughs> everyone, everyone sing it. Yes, you mean the world to me. <laughs> the people in the place. There's no place. Sad.
such a weird Handmaid's Tale moment then. (laughs) People are really unusual. So have they come up with a better one since then or is that just like the only one they ever tried? We had this we um we had this state slogan in South Australia that was um essay going all the way. <laughs> and um and there was a sort of like an SA and then somehow the end of the S became like an arrow that went round and then penetrated the A. It was like the most like really? It was so rude. And then it went on all the number plates and everyone was a bit like, oh, I don't know about that. Like it was just, I love that thing where state governments sometimes they just get a consultant in and end up with something so wildly inappropriate and then everyone's a bit embarrassed because it costs a lot of money and so they're like, oh, no, 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 no. It's all right. It really is. It really isn't. And then it becomes something that just becomes part of every child's sort of slightly embarrassed memory about growing up in that place. (laughs) Wow. Wow. I love that though. That was a beautiful little moment. (laughs) Creepy but really interesting. (laughs) And possibly, despite me thinking it wasn't going to be a good place to end, possibly is. Because you're already cry laughing again for like the like, God, there was this like great moment on the plane where we were in, I think it's fair to say a state of just almost just psychotic panic. I mean, I think we because we've both had a very busy week, we're like – running on a lot of nervous energy and you know how when your brain's sort of really sped up and you just sort of you know you can't it's hard to relax and slow down and so it's just been jangling still this morning because you know there's Sydney's got high winds we can't get on the plane it's late and we've got you know I'm this. going on to the royal wedding from here as well like I'm flying out tomorrow for London so she's got to be so here and her bags have here. to be here like we've got all these lined up of things that you know we have to make and then so the plane is you know nearly two hours late taking off um we, and we're we still had... thinking well we're going to be late but I mean we're going to be have less time than we thought but we'll still yeah. get there but, and then it sat there for a bit longer I'm thinking oh, shit, we, we, we did not make the start of the early show we, we started you know it was three o'clock doors we got on at four o'clock we, and we just walked in you know from the back as you said before anyway so we're, we're texting each other because we weren't sitting next to each other and you know then we finally land in Brisbane we're standing up with our bags this plane stops short of the gate and then the pilot comes on and says um ladies and gentlemen I just wanted to let you know we uh, have a little bit of a problem with the air bridge and I started laughing like I just started laughing then. But I wasn't sitting next to Crab. I was alone in a seat. <laughs> I could not – I had to put sunglasses on. And I, but I couldn't – I could not control myself. And it was just – it was – people like – because I was doing the full sort of <laughs> – just snorting. And I just – people around were like looking. I just thought people think I've lost my mind. Then we finally get off the plane and, of course, then the baggage doesn't arrive and we're both just in a, like, just shrieking and then you've suddenly gone off and found a sausage roll and I turn around <laughs> and she's eating a sausage roll but her hands are shaking there's crumbs going everywhere. I'm like, love, you've got crumbs all down your front. You're a mess. <laughs> just, oh. Oh, we've been crab and sails. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here and... Uh, Sharing the joy with us. Thank you to the uh, Platinum Chatters who rescued the whole show this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you, Scott, the maths guy. Thank you, Thank you, Mandy, the original Annabelle Crab. Ask Scott some tricky maths questions. Give care. Scott up for some sign and some cause on his way out. He's good for it. Thank you, everybody. Thank you very much.